You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. This morning, we are really blessed to have a guy with us that has been, him and his wife have been missionaries for the last 30 years in the Arab world. And uh, Mark Renfro is our speaker, and uh, last this past spring, I was in a master's class with him, got to meet him uh, for the first time. And uh, as we were talking, found out he had preached here back in 2010, 9, somewhere in that range, ways, little ways ago. And uh, I was like, man, it'd be awesome to have you back to speak. It'd be so cool. And uh, him and his wife, uh, as I mentioned, have served uh, the Arab world for the last 30 years, helped start Baghdad Bible College in the early 2000s. And uh, just remarkable. I, from he won't say this because he's super humble, but from so many others that I know in mission field, uh, Mark is one of the foremost voices in some of God world missions uh, in ministry to the Arab world. Such an incredible heart and passion for people. And I promise you this will be, uh, sorry to set the bar so high here, but this will be one of the most memorable days. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So can you give it up for, for Mark this morning? <clears throat> And I asked Mark real quick just to share with us briefly uh, kind of about everything happening in Afghanistan and yeah. kind of your take on that. So I'll let you thank take you. that. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Nick. Um, I always appreciate the, the really nice, generally lying introductions. Um, you, know, I never, you never sound so good as when someone introduces you uh, that likes you. Uh, I, I do remember, um, you know, your, your introduction was good. It wasn't the best one I've ever had, but it was not bad. Um, I had a pastor introduce me, and he had asked for a, a bio. I'd sent it to him. Pastors are busy. I get that. Um, clearly, he had been too busy to read the bio. So he had probably, it looked like he maybe had read it on his way to the stage to introduce me. And he got up on the stage, and he, at the time I was serving as the uh, Arab world uh, area director, which meant I oversaw the missionaries serving in the Arab world and worked with the national churches there. And this guy got up and he said, Mark Renfro is our speaker today. He's, uh, he's, um, he's in charge of the Arab world. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, I'm getting a raise. You know? And then I thought about the condition of the Arab world. <laughs> I'm getting fired. Um, so... Um, Afghanistan is not in the Arab world, but it is uh, certainly part of the Muslim world. And as the Muslim world is somewhat interconnected, you know, it's one of those situations where one sneezes, the rest of the world says, God bless you, sort of idea. And so the situation in Afghanistan has ripple effects uh, in the rest of the Muslim world. I appreciated Pastor Nick posting this week. Uh, I think my video you had posted to help people know how to pray uh, for the situation there. I'm glad to let you know that the missionaries that we know of on the ground in Afghanistan have been able to leave. Um, we hate, that's always our last option. We don't like leaving a country. Um, but it's not unbiblical, just so you know. Remember, you know, when Paul is in the city of Damascus in his early days of having become a believer. He was preaching. That people rose up against him. He, they lowered him down from over the city wall in a basket so he could retreat. Um, not so that he could run away forever, but so that he could run away for then 
compose, let the situation calm down and go back. We hope and pray that we will be able to return to Afghanistan. You know, we watch the news, we see what's happening there, and of course it breaks our hearts. Um, it's very troubling uh, to see the desperation in people, uh, to see people taking children that they love, babies, and throwing them over a fence, hoping that you know, the soldier on the other side will take them and somehow you know, that their child will be able to have a better life. I say we, we talk about these things with an understanding that the purpose of that is not to make us feel guilty about the, the blessings that we have in our life, but it does bring perspective. It helps us understand what God has given to us, and I hope it moves us to prayer. Now, this is one of those prayers that is one of those battles that's not going to be won by intensity. It is the intense prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman that changes much according to the scriptures, but this is, an, this is one of those situations where it's more about consistency than it is about intensity. The situation in Afghanistan is not going to change overnight. And quite frankly, I don't know what this does to your theology, but God's not sitting up in heaven trembling at the fact that the Taliban have taken control. God will use the kingdoms of this world to set up people's hearts to receive his son. And so regardless of the situations that we face or that the people in Afghanistan face, we believe that God is at work to quote Peter's quote of Psalm chapter 2. Why did the rulers of this world rage? Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? The Lord will accomplish his good work for the people of Afghanistan. And we ask that you would continue to pray with us for them. Pray for the missionaries there. Pray for the many believers who have come to Christ in the last few years. We've had a uh, little bit more freedom in Afghanistan. Uh, that's a very relative term because uh, Afghanistan is not a safe place. It hasn't been for gospel work ever that we know of. Uh, but we have seen many believers come to faith in Christ. And so now we do ask that you would pray for the believers who, have been, who are there, that they would remain safe, but more importantly than remaining safe, that they would remain bold and courageous in their faith. So thank you for that. I would like to take a moment before I start my talk this morning to introduce my family to you, if you don't mind. I love them. Uh, that's part of why I want to introduce you to them. Um, and so if we could go ahead and start that slide presentation. You, Pastor said we've been doing this for a while. Um, yeah, this, is, this isn't even 30 years ago. I chose the prayer card picture that we have, this one, because we have kids in it. Uh, we're just cuter with kids. Um, <laughs> And uh, we've been, obviously you can tell we've been doing this a, a while, as Pastor said, 30 years now. Um, growing up in the Middle East, we've raised f uh, four kids. Uh, we can see what they look like now. Next slide, there you go. Uh, they've changed just a little bit. Uh, and let me introduce you to the family one at a time real quick. Uh, my wife, um, actually I realized that my wife's picture is not part of the slide. Uh, go to the next slide. This is not my wife. If that was my wife, I would be in jail. Um, 
Um, but um, that is my lovely daughter. Um, her, she looks a lot like her mother. Uh, she gets her mother's strength and creativity. Uh, my wife, uh, just so you know, is the, she, while we have been missionaries for all these years, the reason we are stateside right now is my wife actually leads all of our efforts for Assemblies of God World Missions around the world for training our missionaries of how to be safe in difficult locations. And in the case of something bad happening, so like this week with what was going on in Afghanistan, Amy was on the phone and on email constantly interfacing with our missionaries in Afghanistan because if something bad happens, it's her phone that rings. And... Um, she, she grew up in a Marine's family. Her father was a Marine for 26 years. So you never know how God will use our backgrounds to strategically place us for what he has for our lives today. Then our daughter there, uh, she is a school teacher in Alexandria, Egypt. She's a wonderful young lady. Then we have our son, our oldest son, Habib. Uh, you can tell he's quite the conformist. Um, he, he, Habib's brilliantly smart. Um, I will never forget the day we were, he, we were having breakfast together in Amman, Jordan, where he grew up and lives for so many years. And uh, he, One day we were chatting over breakfast. And How many of you know what falafel is? Anybody know what falafel is? Okay. Uh, hummus? Uh, that's breakfast food in the Middle East. So we're at our little favorite restaurant eating and enjoying hummus and falafel and some other local dishes. And while we're chatting, I, you know, he was about 16 at the time. I said, so buddy, you know, you thinking about what you might like to do with your life? And he goes, he kind of got a little sheepish and he said, well, yeah, you know, he goes, I think I'd really like to be a musician. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, don't let your face display what you're thinking you know uh, inside I'm going be a good dad be a good dad be a good dad be a supportive dad and the other side of me is going I don't want him living in my basement for the rest of his life you know the good news is is he no longer wants to be a musician uh, he has found the one job that has less job stability than a musician he now wants to be a poet um, but he's married so he's her problem um, you know uh, actually, he's brilliantly smart. He's been published multiple times, and just this past year, he won an award um, by the Poet Laureate uh, as the number one rising poet. So that's, uh, he's, he's very, very smart. We're very proud of him. Love him very much. Love all of our kids, but love him more. Um, um, then we have our middle son, Nabil. By the way, if you notice, our kids all have Arabic names, um, and those are their real names. Um, so, uh, Nur is the Arabic word for light. Uh, Jesus is referred to in scripture as Nur al-Alam, the light of the world. Um, Habib means the one I love. Yeah. Um, the rest of his brothers and sisters have inferiority complexes. But um, then Nabil is the Arabic word for noble, person of noble character. He's a great young man. He's funny. He's compassionate. Um, he's a business major, and then our youngest is Ahmad, which in Arabic means, may God strike me dead if I have another child. Um, uh, yeah. uh, some days. Uh, he's also very, very smart. All of the kids are smart, um, but he, he's a, 
honors chemistry major, at, a chemical engineering major at the University of Missouri, his second semester uh, junior, and um, also a prodigal. So if you know what I mean by that, it means based on the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke, uh, he's very, very far away from his heavenly father right now. And um, we prayed that God would work in his life and bring him home because uh, as much as we love him, we also want him to be reconciled to his heavenly father. Um, when they all left, we became empty nesters, and so we decided to adopt. Here's the newest member of our family. Yep. I finally have a child that looks like me, um, um, but obeys like the rest of his siblings. Uh, why do I go through the time to introduce you to my family? Well, two reasons. One, I love them, and I want to share them with you. But two, I want you to understand that missionaries are normal people. Pastor Nick and I were having a chat yesterday, and um, um, actually it was with Sharon, his mom, and Rosemary. And uh, if, you've, if you ever need to get closer to Jesus, just ride with Sharon. <laughs> it will improve your prayer life, I promise you. Um, um, so... Um, I think Nick said, I'm a little worried that Mark's not prayed up for this message this morning, so would you, have, would you drive him, Mom? So um, we're having this conversation, and I said, I, you know, I grew up in a, a Christian family. My father's actually a pastor. Um, I didn't grow up highly exposed to missions, and I had just enough knowledge of missions to think that missionaries were somewhere between saints and weird, you know, and depending on your understanding, you're probably thinking that too, and maybe even skewed toward the weird part. Um, the truth is, missionaries are incredibly normal people who get the opportunity to do some extraordinary things in sometimes some difficult places. The one thing that I think sort of characterizes missionaries is that most of them that I know are absolutely enthralled with the glory of God and they long to see it known amongst all peoples everywhere. Because as we're going to look at this morning, there are still many, many places and lots of people and people groups that have yet to have an adequate understanding of who Jesus is is. And I want you to understand that you have a role to play in that. Now, most of you will stay. The most prolific sending entity in the history of Christendom was the Moravian movement of the 17 and 1800s. Count von Zinzendorf, how's that for a name, was the leader of that group uh, was absolutely enthralled with God's glory amongst the nations. They raised up missionaries. They sent them out in such number that for every one missionary that went out, only eight stayed behind. So just look around this room this morning and think about if that were the case, how many missionaries would go out of this congregation? 
If, if you like to travel, maybe God has put that in your heart for something other than experiencing new places and new cultures. Maybe you have a gift for language, and so you're not struggling to understand my southern accent this morning. Maybe God has a call on your life for missions. If, if you like foreign food, maybe God has his call on your life. If you think Taco Bell is foreign food, God does not have his call on your life. Just want to make that clear. Um, so maybe you're part of the one of nine. But let's assume Calvary becomes that kind of sending entity. That still means that 88% of you stay. But you don't get a get out of jail free card. And that's what most people actually think of missions as. It's somehow that some, well, I guess I'll have to be involved in this. If you love your father, you are enthralled with the things that your father loves. And your heart is broken by the things that break your father's heart. And so this morning, as we just walk through a few verses of Scripture, I'm continuing your pastor's series. And so we're going to be talking about the multiplying powers that exist in our lives and in Scripture. So if we want to jump real quick, we're going to jump to the multiplying power of mission. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's what many people refer to as the Great Commission. All four of the Gospels have some form of a Great Commission, but this one is the best known. Um, Matthew, uh, this is after Jesus has been resurrected. This is like the last command that Jesus gives to his disciples. We read these words. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, and on, on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have this power of mission. Not our mission. God's mission, God's eternal mission. If you want to know, if you are in sync with what God wants to do through your life at a macro level, your life needs to line up with this. Now, that doesn't mean God's called you into full-time ministry because all of us are in ministry, some of us, a few of us do it vocationally, but all of us have been given gifts by God to be on mission with God. And so that, there is a power that comes from knowing that we are on mission with God. It's also, there is a multiplying power in God's presence. What did that verse say? I am with you to the very end of the age. What an absolute promise. David Livingston, the 
famous missionary to Africa, when they found his Bible after he died, opened up his Bible, and in this passage, in the margin, written next to this verse, it just said, the promise of a gentleman. God never calls us to do something that he does not go along with us. And there is a multiplying power in God's presence. What's he called us to do? He's called us to proclaim. In Luke, we read these words. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There is power in proclamation. Now, when you hear the word preached, you probably associate that with a preacher. And so that's why I have changed the word because the word used here in Luke is not a religiously specific word. It's not an action of a person assigned to an occupation. Rather, it is the word that we would very commonly refer to as proclaim. We are proclaimers of the gospel. How many of you have ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi? How many of you have ever heard what is oftentimes attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words? Anybody ever heard that? I can promise you St. Francis never said that. Here's how I know, because for two reasons. One, there is no proclamation of the gospel apart from words. And two, St. Francis was, was well known for preaching to the birds. So if he was constantly preaching to the birds, I got a feeling he was probably preaching to his neighbors also. The, the, one of the biggest lies the enemy wants to use in our life is to make us think that by proclaiming God's word, we are going to be offensive. Now, certainly I have heard people proclaim God's word that was offensive, but it was them that was offensive. Now, is the cross offensive? Sure it is. The cross speaks to my inability to come before God in my own merit. But it's also the greatest expression of God's love. That when we were his enemies, God sent his son to die for us. You saw the pictures of those kids. If, if they were in this room today and, God forbid, a fire broke out, I like to think that I am a courageous person. I'd like to think that I would come in and I would try to help save some of you. But until my kids were safe, I would run over your bodies. <laughs> but God 
who is rich in mercy, sent his son for the sake of his enemies. That's the message of mission. You don't have to be a preacher to proclaim that. All you have to be is one beggar who knows how to tell another beggar where to find bread. That's the nature of this word and this message that we have been sent to proclaim. Next, we want to talk about the power of focus. What are we called to do? We're called, quite simply, to make disciples. To make students. To make others who sit at the feet of a master. Of course, implicit in this is that we're already disciples. That you can't make something that you aren't. So all of us need to be disciples of Christ. Not simply, you know, we, we accepted Christ into our life at some point in our life. You know, that that's a, a historical moment. Great, but, but we're not supposed to remain infants. We're supposed to be growing constantly in our walk with Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We're actually called to make disciples. I have a very good friend who I served as his area director for many years. Uh, He's been a missionary on the field since 1977. He's the most productive missionary I've ever met. Um, He's not well known because he has sort of lived in obscurity. Uh, Just really sticks, keeps his nose to the ground, his plow in front of him, just keeps working hard. I asked him one day, I said, Ross, I said, what, what are, what's, what's the thing you're most proud of in 70, you know, since doing this since 1977, all these years? And, you know, I, I know a lot of the things he's done. He was the co-founder with me of the Baghdad Bible College. And I, I know all, the, I mean, the, the stuff he's done where he lives is just absolutely amazing. But he looks at me and if you think I have a southern accent, you would need subtitles to understand Ross. He's from the mountains of North Georgia. And, and he goes, well, 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 let me think about that. And he goes, um, I, I've made two disciples. Of course, I know what he's done. I'm like, Ross. You know, he goes, oh, Mark, he goes, if we get away from making disciples, we've erred. He goes, I can think of two men that I really led to the Lord and I walked with them daily. And I've seen them grow up into great people of God. I said, okay. And, of course, I knew the story. But he said, let me, let me, let me just go back and tell you like, about one of those guys. He said, so one of them came to faith in Christ, became a disciple. He's been walking with Jesus now for about 20 years. He said, this is now three years ago. He said, three years ago. He came to me one day and he said, hey, Ross, I got something I want to show you. He has a little cheap notebook that he bought at a little bookstore there in his country. And he said, here, let me show you something. And Arabic is written right to left, so the back of the book, you know, is the front of the book. And so he takes it and he opens it up, and it's this little paper, cheap paper notebook. And in each page, there's three columns. There's a column for names, a column for dates, and a column for location. And he goes... Okay, and he he flips through the pages, and there's just page after page after page filled in, and gets to the end, and there's 267 names in the book. And and then it's lots of empty pages. And he goes, wow, that's amazing. 
He goes, what is this? And he goes, well, he goes, column number one is the people after 20 years of ministry. These are the people that have come, that I've been able to lead to the Lord. And he said, the dates, the date they were baptized. And then the last column is the cell group that they're in, the house church that they're in. Because in the context where they're in, the church is not above ground. It's a Muslim context, so all the churches are below ground. Um, and so you know what I mean by an underground church. You know? And um, not like my son heard me years ago, the youngest son heard me talking about the underground church in a meeting. And afterwards he goes, what about the parking? Yeah, yeah. So, um, 267 names. And he goes, Ross, and Ross said, Mark, I don't think I've ever felt like I was closer to the Lamb's Book of Life than when I held that book in my hand. And he said, we've been praying, and he said, we think that God wants us, by the end of this year, this was in December of that year, he said, by the end of the next year, he goes, we believe God wants us to go from 267 names in the book to 500 names in the book. And Ross, who's a tremendous visionary, said, I thought to myself, well, you know, it's better to aim at the sun and hit the moon than aim at the top of the trees and fall on the ground. So, you know, he didn't say that, but he said, go for it. That's great. You know, he thought, no way they're going to reach that number. I mean, that's almost doubling what they've done in 20 years. About June of the next year, Ross set, met with this guy regularly, but about around June, this guy calls him and says, hey, Ross, can we get together? And so they meet, and he comes, has his book in his hand, and he goes, Ross, we have a problem. And Ross said, look, man, it's okay. It's better to set your goals high and not meet them than to not set them high. And he, just said, he said, this guy looked at me like I was not even a follower of Jesus. He said, that's not our problem. He said, our problem is, is that we're already over a thousand. Now, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot we don't know about, like, it's hard to count you know, people that are in the kingdom, here's what I can tell you. That three years ago, we had 267 Muslim background believers in that context, people who are, had been discipled. And today, we have a discipleship curriculum that we work through with new believers. And to this point, we've had 370,000 people complete that discipleship curriculum. And along with that, we have had 47 martyrs. Welcome to the book of Acts. We talk about the fact that we want New Testament Christianity... Well, New Testament Christianity involves both power and suffering. The greatest gift that God has ever given to me has been the ability to walk side by side with men and women who I have seen suffer for their faith and yet have a smile on their face. One of my closest friends, Pastor Jewel in Baghdad, Iraq, a man who has been in prison for his faith, and yet he has a smile on his face. He loves to laugh. I'll never forget the time he had somebody come to his church 
right after the first Gulf War. This was around 2003, or second Gulf War, sorry. Around 2003, someone came to his church. And it was a Westerner, because only a Westerner would do something like this. Came to his church. It was a house church meeting, but because the, after the invasion, things had opened up, and they had a large group of people in their home. And uh, this guy came and said, hey, would you give us some of your people? We'd like to go and start another church. And Pastor Jewel looked at these people and he's like, I went to jail for these people. They put electrodes on my body for these people. You go get your own people. (laughs) Welcome to New Testament Christianity. And yet a smile on his face. Suffering and joy are not counter to one another. Biblical Christianity understands that the sufferings of Jesus overflow into our lives, but one of the effects that it has on us is it breaks the umbilical cord, the fascination that we have with comfort and this world, and so it unlinks us from expecting to find all the joy and happiness here and we actually understand that there is something greater waiting for us on the other side. Interestingly enough, those people who have been most active in proclaiming the message of the gospel around the world who were those who were most fascinated with heaven. So becoming heavenly-minded actually makes you earthly good, not the opposite. There is that multiplying power of discipleship. There's math associated with discipleship. Do you believe that? I, I tend to be like my son, the poet, um, not the mathematician. You know, um, I, I don't like math. Um, I know that there are people who do. There's medicine that fixes that. Uh, if you're one of those people, but uh, I, I remember just thinking through this one day and thinking, you know, if you thought about like the city of Irwin and that greater Pittsburgh area, let's imagine, and I wrap up with this, let's imagine that the day of Pentecost happens. If you read the book of Acts, the first couple of chapters, you read about the day of Pentecost where this great revival happens. Large, large number of people come to faith in Christ. Around 5,000 people get saved on that day. How many of you would like to experience a day of Pentecost? I would. How How would you like to think about Like a day of Pentecost happening in every major city on the east coast of America every day for the next 30 days. How many of you would love to see that happen? I think I I would call that revival. Here's, Here's the interesting part. Do you know that if you were to go out today and to make a disciple and the person you led to Christ would go out and disciple somebody. So it becomes this multiplying factor. So the 5,000, 5,000, 5,000, that's sort of an addition 
equation going on there. But let's say we go out and so I make a disciple and I make two disciples. I mean, like my friend Ross. So I, I make two disciples of Jesus, not of me. And they go out and each of them makes two disciples. And then each of them makes two disciples. Do you know that within 12 days we've overcome the day of Pentecost? Do you know that by day 20 we've evangelized the entire world? See, there's a multiplying power to discipleship. We tend to think of things like the day of Pentecost, and what it does is it awes us and it disempowers us. It awes us because we think, wow, that's great. It disempowers us because we think, I'm not Peter. (laughs) I could never do that. Well, the great thing is this, you're not asked to. But every person in this room could make two disciples. If you would switch real quick to that map of the world, this is why it's so important. The green places on that map represent where the gospel is present in significant mass. The red is the places and the peoples where the church is not yet. Green means reached, red means unreached. Switch down to that map of Africa. You get a zoom in location here. That, look at that. It's almost like you drew a line across the continent. The south, where missionaries have gone, and they've understood that where you preach the gospel, it bears fruit. And we've got tremendous growth that's happened in the church there. And yet in the north, the Muslim part of Africa, we still see so much work to be done. So, how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to do it by the multiplying power of together. We do this. Not just Mark and Amy, not just Nick and Heidi, all of us together. We do this. We look at our neighbors differently. We look at our co-workers differently. Paul says, I used to look at people from a human perspective. I thought of them by their race or by their socioeconomic class. Paul says, I no longer look at people that way. See, there's really only two categories in God's economy, those who are in his family and those he wants to see in his family. Those are the only two categories that matter to God, so they're the only two categories that really ought to matter to us. There's a multiplying power in together. We have to do this. Not because it's Mark's words to you, but because it's Christ's words to his church. Go, and make disciples. While the central theme of that verse is make the disciples part, I cannot deny the fact that in order for us to do that and to do it effectively, we have to go. That requires action. We go with our prayers. As I said earlier, praying consistently for the nations. What do your prayers look like Nothing wrong with praying for you and yours. I certainly do that. 
Nothing wrong with praying for the situations that you're facing in your life. I do that. But my prayers can't stop there. They must continue. They must reflect the heart of God. Pray for the world. William Carey, a famous early missionary to India, said every Christian ought to pray with two things in his hand, an open Bible and an unfolded map. Secondly, we go with our finances. You knew I was going to talk about that. I, I mean, it's, it's part of it. Where my heart is is where my money is. I don't think twice about spending money on my children. Man, I want to be as generous as I possibly can be. And I want to be that way with my relationship with God. Every person in this room ought to be doing, one of, doing both of those, giving with their prayers, going with their prayers and going with their money. But maybe, just maybe, there's somebody in this room this morning, maybe there's more than one, that God wants to see you go with your feet. Certainly God wants to see you cross over the street to your neighbor but God may also want you to go to where the gospel is not present. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this. Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you are in God's family to that in your heart you say a rowdy amen thank you Jesus I believed and now I am saved I am so thankful for God's redeeming work in my life but it doesn't stop there because Paul said everyone who believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved but how did they believe in him in whom they've never heard 14,000 unique ethno-linguistic people groups in the world today. 6,800 of them remain glory void. No kingdom presence. 1,700 of those 6,800 aren't just unreached. They're unengaged. That means... No missionary, no believer, no scripture in the local language, obviously no kingdom of Christ. As overwhelming as those numbers may sound, you have the power to change that. Not on your own, but through the multiplying power of God's mission, His presence, and God's focus as we work together for His good. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we close? I don't know how the Lord has worked in your life, spoken to you this morning. It would be tragic for me to talk about reaching the nations and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. 
Everyone who believes in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here this morning and you've just never taken that final step to walk from knowledge to faith, then today would be a wonderful day for you to do that. So it's in a moment as the music team, worship team's leading us in a song, just take that moment to cry out to God and say, Father, here I am. Accept me as I am. In faith, I come before you. From that moment on, you enter into mission with God. I believe God wants to use every single one of us on his mission. And some of you this morning need to take that step of obedience of saying, God, whatever it is, I take my hand off my life, I take the, my hand off my child's life, I take my hand off and I, and I acknowledge that you are truly Lord, you are master, you're a good master, and so therefore I can trust you. And so I'm going to take steps of obedience. I'm going to walk across the street. I'm going to talk to that person that you've been prompting me to talk to. I'm going to do that. See, the great thing is, folks, is we, when we open our mouth like that, God shows up. So this morning, I'm going to close in prayer. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, I ask that you would respond in obedience to Him. And then I want to ask you to do one other thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. But I'm going to ask you that you would go and talk to somebody that you know well about what God has done in your life today because we all need people that hold us accountable. Every single person. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for this great church. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for the multiplied multitude of people that are represented in this room. Father, we know people who know people who know people that infamous, famous six degrees of separation. Lord, we could win the entire world. Lord, free us from our excuses and captivate us with your presence and your power, we pray in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 